0: Take your Bible now, please, and open up to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Would you do that? Psalm, chapter number 65. Psalm 65. Give you just a moment to find that. I've been trying to encourage you in your faith, in your trust in God. This morning we dealt with the subject of patience, and that's very important. We talked about faith in God's promise, and then... Covered with patience. Very important. That sort of spills into this evening. Because I want to deal with the subject of prayer. Now in Psalm 65, I'd like you to notice one verse. And that's verse number 2. And I'd like you to read it out loud. Right where you are there in your home, wherever you may be. Psalm 65, verse 2. Read it together now out loud with me. O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. It's a very simple formula. We have God who's a prayer-hearing God, and because he hears, he answers. And because of this, the scripture says, unto thee shall all flesh come. Well, you say, Pastor, there's a lot of flesh that's not coming to God. There's a lot of unsaved people out there, men, women, and young people, and seniors, and they're not saved, and they're not coming to God. Well, I'll have you know the day is coming when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God. And unsaved people will be brought up at the great white throne judgment, and they will come before God who would have loved to have answered their prayers and to be their God, but they would not. And so that's a sad story, but that's not a story for tonight. The story for tonight is a prayer answering God. Now, many Christians, and I'd like to go out on a limb here, and I'd like to say probably over half the Christians in the world have had Trouble with prayer. And what I mean to say is, they tend to get discouraged. They pray for a period of time, for something good, for something for God's glory. And it may even be well based in a biblical promise, which it ought to be. But they do become discouraged and they begin thinking, well, maybe my prayers are just weak. My prayers don't seem to do much. I hear stories, I read about people who prayed and got what they prayed for, but then there's me, and I don't seem to get what I pray for. I pray, and nothing seems to happen, and I'd like to suggest that over half the Christians in the world, and I I have no, no data to back this up, it's just kind of a gut feeling from what I think I have observed over 46 years, that I think that well over half Christians around the world experience this very same problem. Every country where Christians are found, there seems to be the devil's influence. And this is one way the devil influences us, is to stop praying. We tend to base our understanding of prayer upon what we experience. From our prayers. And because we tend to experience very few results, very little, we tend to shrug our shoulders and say, What can I do? It works for others, it doesn't seem to work for me. I don't know what the problem is. Now, it makes Christians wonder why God makes promises to answer our prayers when we can go for weeks, months, and years without seeing our prayers answered? Why do we have verses like Psalm 65, verse 2? O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Hmm. Good question. Well, I suppose if we were God, or if somehow we could see things as God sees them, we might just understand why it is that our prayers go unanswered. God is not willing for our prayers to go unanswered. God is wanting to answer prayer. Of course, we naturally say, well, then why aren't my prayers being answered? I believe that prayer is to be done by faith and not according to the results we see with our eyes or hear with our ears. Our prayers are to be by faith. Again, I'm trying to encourage and strengthen your faith. And prayer is an essential service that must be done by faith. And so, tonight, I'd like us to explore this subject. What God must do to answer your prayers. Let's begin with prayer. Our Heavenly Father, your word says that unto you all flesh shall come. Well, right now, here's a little bit of flesh. Those of us here in the internet church service tonight, with our heads bowed, our eyes closed, and we're assembling around the throne of grace right now. And we're united in our desire to be able to pray and to pray effectively. Please, Father, increase our faith. Open the eyes of our understanding so that we can come away from the sermon tonight, from the church service tonight, strengthened and more equipped to go into this week and to pray our way through it. And so help us to this end. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, I believe that in order for us to understand the answer to our question about what God must do in order to get your prayers answered, I think that we must first understand a simple principle, we'll call it cause and effect. Cause and effect. Now, in the world of science, we would need to go back to the 1600s, I believe it was 1687, and we find Sir Isaac Newton saying these words, For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. I'm going to call this cause and effect. Cause and effect. It's like the energy that transfers from one body into another. Take, for example, two bricks sitting there. They're just sitting there on the table. But if we take one brick and we pull it and throw it with all our might at the second brick, we have added to the equation quite a bit of energy. That brick is involved with quite a bit of energy, and it's going to come slamming into that other brick just sitting there on the table. And according to cause and effect, there's going to be a transfer. Remember, Isaac Newton said for every action there is an equal and opposite reaction. Well, as the first brick comes slamming into the second brick, most of that energy is going to be transferred to that second brick, and now that second brick is going to go flying maybe off the table. It was sitting there with no energy, but now the energy with this brick that we're throwing with all our might slams into it, gets transferred, and now moves the second brick off the table. A simple illustration perhaps, but it shows us the cause and effect. So, in principle, for every effect, there must first be a cause. Let me say that again. For every effect, there must first be a cause. Take, for example, the inventor and his invention. The inventor will be the cause. The invention will be the effect. You have the inventor, you have his invention. Cause and effect. And this is the principle behind getting our prayers answered. This is it here, folks. Cause and effect. Now, in the case of the inventor, when the inventor decides to invent an invention, he makes the decision, I am going to invent. Well, his invention just doesn't magically appear, does it? You know that the inventor must spend long amounts of time in study and preparation and trial and error and learning from those errors and learning from those successes and writing notes and looking at his idea, his invention from different angles and possibly getting a little counsel or something. It could take days, weeks, months, or years for the invention to finally come to fruition. But it's still cause and effect. But look at all of the stuff that had to happen in between here. It's like that transfer of energy from one brick to the other brick. Now, in that particular case, it seems to be instantaneous. But time really is involved to transfer that energy from the one brick to the other. Time is involved for the inventor to finally produce his invention. Time is involved. And this will help us to understand why it is that it takes a long time to get prayers answered. Here we have, uh, say, a friend, an unsaved friend. It could be uh, Bob or Bill or Joe. Let's use use the name Bob. I like the name Bob. And uh, let's say that our friend Bob is not saved. And we're burdened about that. And we say, oh, Lord... My my good friend Bob is not saved. I will pray for his salvation. And we know that this is a good thing to pray for. And so we get down on our knees and we say, Oh, Lord, I'm praying for Bob. I'm praying, Father, that you would save his soul and make him your child and get him born again. I pray it in Jesus' name. And then the next day we see Bob and we realize Bob is still not saved. Huh, and we spent all that time in prayer last night. Well, let's do it again. And so tonight we get on our knees and we pray earnestly for Bob. And then we see him again the next day. And Bob is still not saved. Uh. And so we spend a total of eight days praying for Bob. And each day we meet Bob and I'm not saved. He doesn't even look to be interested in getting saved. And yet we prayed for Bob, didn't we? We've prayed earnestly. We've prayed biblically. We've prayed in Jesus' name for God to be glorified, for Bob to be saved. And yet Bob is not saved. And so we do what we often do. And I'm sorry to say this, folks, but we do sometimes what we do best. We give up. We kind of quit, and we say, Whoa, oh, well, I guess maybe my prayers just aren't good enough. Or we might say, well, maybe it's not Bob's time to be saved. Or maybe we might even try and say, maybe Bob is not destined. Maybe it's not his destiny to be saved. Bottom line is we give up. We quit praying. Well, what is really happening behind the scenes when we pray? I mean the inventor. He decides, I shall invent. I will invent the world's best mousetrap. And what then? Well, he has to start inventing and playing with mechanical things and getting his finger snapped or something. And finally, maybe one day down the road, he'll have the world's greatest mousetrap. But eight days later, he still doesn't have his mousetrap. And he may be tempted to quit and give up. Now we need to try and see things as God sees them. And that will help us and it will encourage us tonight with our prayers. Because listen to me folks. The weakest of God's saints can still make Satan tremble. The weakest saint on his or her knees causes our enemy Satan to tremble in his boots. Because you see, it's not our strength or power. It's almighty God's power. That's the beautiful thing about prayer. Is that we can begin to unleash, to open the door as as it were. The almighty power of God into a situation, into a church, into a man's life. We can do that. Some men are very good at prayer, it seems. John Knox was a great preacher, a great soul winner, and he begged God for Scotland. Oh God, give me Scotland ere I die. And he was a phenomenal prayer warrior. Back in those days lived a, a very brutal queen on the throne of England. She was only queen for a short period of time, but her name was Mary. They called her Bloody Mary because she was instrumental in the death of so many Christian men, women, and young people. Bloody Mary. And Mary said she feared the prayers of John Knox. Imagine that, being afraid of the prayers of a preacher. Now, you don't have to be a preacher to be a great prayer warrior. You just have to be born again. And you have to learn about prayer. Prayer is slipping your hand into God's hand. And together, you do great things together. It's done by faith, isn't it? But we tend to give up too quickly, too easily, too readily. We say, "Ah, maybe another day, and we put it off, and we quit. Well, we need to start seeing things. From heaven's point of view. All right. Well, in terms of the spiritual side of things, of course we have God. And God is not willing that Bob, the man in our example here, God is not willing that Bob should perish. He's not willing at all for that, but that Bob should come to repentance. So we have God in the unseen spiritual. We also have Satan in the unseen spiritual. Now, Satan is willing for Bob to perish and go to hell. Satan is not only willing for that, but Satan is willing to get in the way and to try to stop our prayers, to discourage us, to thwart us. Satan will try to work both sides of the street. He'll try and work on us. He'll try and work on Bob and Bob is now in the physical side of things I suppose you could say we're in the physical side Bob's in the physical side God is in the spiritual side Satan's in the spiritual side but in the physical side we have Bob and Bob perhaps over the many years he's lived has managed to harden his heart and no doubt Satan has had something to do with that but Bob has hardened his heart in sin And so, what have we done so far? We've prayed for Bob's salvation for a whole eight days, and then we quit for one reason or another. We give up. And sometimes we just forget. Have you noticed that? A prayer request comes, you raise your hand, I'll pray, I'll pray for it, and you do. That night, and the next night, and the third night, and the fourth night, you forgot. And then by the sixth night, you say, oh my, I was supposed to pray. I forgot. Have you ever done that one? Well, that's pretty common as well. But in terms of value, Bob's eternal soul and his salvation is worth more than all of the great inventions of all the great inventors of this world. You could do an interesting study if you went on the internet and typed in the words, What is the greatest invention of man? And you'll get all kinds of answers back on that. I tried typing that in in a few different ways. I tried typing in what is the greatest mechanical invention in history and in the world today? What is the most complicated technological uh, invention of man? I've tried typing in these things, and you get a variety of answers back. I would have to guess that the uh, space age. The um, uh, space shuttle, hmm? these monster big rockets, all of the most powerful computing software and hardware, and all of the energy involved and the billions of dollars, I would tend to think that this accomplishment, this space age of getting rockets and men up to the moon, and now we've got machines on Mars. Myself, I would tend to think that these are some of the greatest technological, mechanical uh, inventions of the modern world. Bob's salvation is more valuable than all of that put together. The salvation of one soul is worth more than all of the technological apparatus, all of the mechanical majesty, all of the financial wizardry. It's worth more than anything this world has to offer. Imagine if it was your eternal soul. Imagine if you were the one who was about to spend an eternity in hell forever and ever and ever. You know, what, what would you give in, e- in exchange for your soul? Well, what's the value of Bob's salvation? It's so precious that it took the life of Almighty God on the cross to pay the cost. That's what it did. Therefore, we should not be surprised if it takes a long time for our friend Bob to be saved. The space program didn't happen overnight. They were working on that one for a long time. Decades and decades and decades they've been working on it. It's still not perfect today, but boy, are they ever far ahead. They are light years, pardon the expression, light years ahead of where they they were 20, 30 years ago. It's phenomenal. But it didn't happen overnight. And we shouldn't be surprised if after eight days, Bob's still not saved. Because you see, a lot of stuff has to happen. When we get on our knees and we start praying, what has to happen? A lot has to happen. There's a lot that God has to do. When you get on your knees and you pray for your friend Bob, or you pray for your mother who's not saved, or your father who's not saved, or your sister, or your brother, or your children, or your close friends, a lot has to happen. You say, like what? Well, See it from God's perspective, from the spiritual side. We're just looking at the physical side, but start to understand it from God's side of the equation. When you start praying for Bob to be saved, number one, God has to start bringing about a softening of Bob's heart. Bob managed to harden his heart after many years of living in the world, living for himself in the flesh, and sin, and sin. He's, he's hardened his heart, folks. And that's got to get softened up. In order for the farmer to get a, a good crop, of course, he has to sow the seed. In order for him to sow the seed, the ground has to be prepared. He's got to get out there with his equipment and he's got to plow up that ground. He's got to get the stony rocks out of there. He's got to overturn the soil. He may have to fertilize it. He has to prepare that soil. He just doesn't throw seed at the ground and say, well, it's been four minutes. Where's my harvest? You'd laugh if a farmer did that. You'd say, sir, you need to be patient. You should have been in church Sunday morning when the pastor talked about you. He talked about patience and the farmer. By the way, that's this morning. If you happen to miss it, you can always go back and watch the message. But God has to do a lot of stuff. He has to start softening Bob's heart. He has to start bringing the Word of God, the Scriptures, into Bob's mind, especially the Gospel. He has to start working maybe on Bob's sense of curiosity. He has to start... Opening Bob's understanding, and maybe he has to start softening up Bob's pride. And remember, Bob spent years building his pride and hardening his heart and making his will stubborn. And so it's no wonder if it's going to take more than eight days for God to bring about Bob's salvation. When God announced, thousands of years ago, that he was going to destroy the world with a flood. He gave 120 years to Noah to build the ark. You know, you just don't, back in Noah's day, you just don't order an ark off of Amazon. Uh, One ark, uh, make it this many cubits by this many cubits, And uh, what's the fastest delivery? Mm, Three weeks. No, for faster delivery, it's going to cost, okay, I'll go for the faster delivery option. There was none of that. He had to build it all from scratch. My guess is that Noah was not an experienced boat builder. And he had to learn. God gave 120 years. And finally, that boat was done and people still hadn't responded to the invitations and the preaching and pleading and prayers of Noah. But his three boys and their wives and Noah and his wife. And that was eight souls got in there. Well, that was the plan of God back then. We're looking at our friend Bob in our example. And we're heartbroken that our our buddy Bob is not saved. Now we realize that God has a lot of stuff he's got to do in Bob's life. But secondly, don't forget There's more to the spiritual, the unseen spiritual than just God. There's the enemy. There's Satan. And Satan is going to get involved too. And so Satan is opposing Bob's salvation. And so more prayer is going to be needed in order to pull down the strongholds of Satan and remove some of Satan's roadblocks that he puts in the way, keeping Bob from getting saved. Maybe Satan will bring in some of Bob's old buddies to distract him off of salvation. More prayer is needed. Perhaps Satan might bring in some strong temptations to further harden Bob's heart. Still more prayer is required for this. Or maybe Satan might use some of Bob's family members to pressure him stay away from the gospel. Stay away from the Bible. Stay away from church. Stay away from that friend who's praying for you. More prayer is required to overcome these obstacles. So all this alone requires much intercessory prayer. And God needs at least, at very least, God needs one prayer warrior who is willing to attack the gates of hell. And who is willing to... To not give up praying. But folks, then there's another, believe it or not, there's another aspect. Remember, we talked about the spiritual and the physical. On the spiritual, we have God and we're praying God's promises to him and encouraging God to save Bob. There's Satan and we're praying down the strongholds that Satan has built up in Bob's life. And then there's the physical. There's Bob himself And we're trying to encourage him. And we're praying for him. But he's not the only one in the physical side, is he? There's us. Now listen carefully. Sometimes there are things wrong with the Christian. That are hindering our prayers. And we can be praying on the one hand. And knocking ourselves down on the other. Building ourselves up here and tearing ourselves down there. There may be some secret sins. You see, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. The word regard means to make room for, and to accommodate, and to excuse, and to live with, and maybe even to protect and defend. If I regard iniquity in my heart, The Lord will not hear me. And listen, it could be your father who's not saved on his deathbed. And your heart may be broken. Praying, oh God, please save my father, my daddy, before he dies and goes to hell. And yet, if you have an area in your life that you're holding on to and you know it's sinful. If I regard iniquity in my life, the Lord will not hear me. So what I'm saying is that on the physical side... We not only have Bob with all his hang-ups, but then there's the prayer warrior. There's us. And there may be a problem here with us. Something hindering our prayers from being heard. God may have to slowly bring you and I around to personal repentance and revival. In order for there to be spiritual growth, in order for us to put away certain things of the world in order for us to get our prayers answered and to have a real impact with God. And so, as we can see, God really honestly does want to answer our prayers. But there are usually many things that need to be done in order for God to answer our prayers. That's why we often make the mistake of quitting and giving up. But I've prayed for a whole month. I've prayed for six months. Nothing. I quit. You may be one day away from getting your prayers answered. You never know. One thing is for sure. God wants to answer prayer. And you know, sometimes, I'll tell you what. Sometimes there's a whole spiritual warfare going on and we, we're not even aware of it. We can't see it. We can't hear it. We can't touch it. We can't taste it. We can't smell it. But yet there is a real warfare going on. And that needs to be dealt with. Take your Bible and turn to the book of Daniel. So after Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you ought to find Daniel there somewhere. And there he is, hiding after, hiding behind Ezekiel. And go to Daniel and go to chapter 10. Would you do that? Daniel chapter 10. Daniel was a great man of God, a great prayer warrior. Daniel knew how to pray. He went into a prayer meeting with God. And oh boy. His prayers weren't getting answered. Well, let's see here if we can pick up this story. Chapter 10, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now, this would have been somewhere around 539 to 530 B.C. That's, I think, the time that he reigned there, it took over Babylon. Babylon. A thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long, and he understood the thing and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh nor wine in my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all, till three whole weeks were fulfilled, and in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, then I lifted up mine eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man. This is an angel, a certain man clothed in linen, whose loins were girt about with fine gold of Euphaz. His body also was like beryl. His face has the appearance of lightning, and his eyes as lamps of fire, and his arms and his feet like in color to polish brass. And the voice of his words are like the voice of a multitude. This is no ordinary man, this is an angel. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone and saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. For my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees, and upon the palms of my hands, and he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent." And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thine heart to understand and to chasten thyself before thy God, thy words were heard. What did we just read in Psalm 65, verse 2? O thou that hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Here was Daniel coming. End of verse 12. And I am come for thy words. Verse 13. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. This is an angel talking to a man. And the angel said that this prince of Persia withstood me. How can a human man withstand an angel? Maybe it wasn't a human man withstanding the angel. So he goes on and he says, But lo, Michael, one of the chief princes, that's Michael the archangel, came to help me and I remained there with the kings of Persia. Now I am come to make thee understand what shall befall thy people in the latter days. For yet the vision is for many days. Let's stop right there. We have spiritual war going on. And Daniel didn't know anything about it. This great man of God and his companions were clueless what was happening in the spiritual realm. And finally, this angel comes and tells him, "Ah, ah, From the very first day, I was sent, but it's like Satan hindered me. And I was in battle, and Michael the archangel had to come and help me. And finally, I'm here to answer your prayers. You see, sometimes, sometimes, there's spiritual war going on, as we're praying earnestly for great things for God's glory. But we, you see, we, we're not aware of it, are we? There's so much that has to happen in order for God to answer our prayers. There's usually a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff that needs to go on. For example, a little boy. A little boy says, When I grow up, I'm going to be a fireman. And we we pat him on the head and we say, that's good, Sonny. That's a good profession. Good for you. The next day we say, well, why aren't you a fireman, boy? I'm still busy growing up. Well, that, that is true. The little boy's got a lot of growing up he's got to do. He's got a lot of studying and training. He's got to apply. And then if he's accepted, he's got to undergo lots of rigorous training before he can rush into a burning building and save people's lives. So you see, a lot of stuff has to happen between the time the boy says, I'm going to be a fireman, to the point where he says, don't worry, ma'am, I'm here to save you. And he picks her up and carries her out of the burning building. A lot of stuff has to happen in between. Do you agree? Interesting, isn't it? Our prayers must be by faith, based upon God's promises in the Bible. Turn back to Psalm 37. I love this Psalm. This is one of my favorites, Psalm 37 and verses number 4 to 5. Psalm 37, verses 4 to 5. Would you read it out loud with me? Let's read it together, shall we? Verse 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. You see that? It must be our faith in God. In John chapter 15, uh, this is a, a verse or two that many of you will know. But in John chapter 15 and verse 7 and 8, our Lord Jesus says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Don't you love it? You see, God really does want to answer prayer. God is more anxious and excited to answer prayer than you are. But a lot of stuff has got to happen sometimes in order for him to answer that prayer. Now, if you happen to be praying for, say for example, nice weather on Saturday so that the fire brigade can get out and distribute more tracks, well, God doesn't usually have to do a whole lot of stuff in order to change the weather for a couple of hours. But if you're talking the eternal salvation of our buddy Bob, you're talking a whole different kettle of fish. And a lot of stuff has to happen because God will not impose his will upon a human being. God is not this type that overrides the human will and turns us into robots or zombies and forces us to say this and do that and not do that. God's not like that. He is sovereign, but he knows in advance what our choices will be. So, Psalm 37, 4-5, John 15, 7-8. These are absolute promises, and we must exercise faith in God's trustworthiness in order for him to answer our prayers. Now, I'll warn you this. I'm almost done here, but I'll warn you this. There is a temptation Sometimes to rush in there and try and help God out. And we must resist that. In Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. It says trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him. And he shall direct thy paths. But we must learn to trust in him with all our heart. Abraham turned out to be the father of the, the Jewish nation, and yea, the father of saved people, really. Faithful Abraham. But did you know, after he married his wife Sarah, maybe they were just a young couple? I wonder if they married uh, at the same age that my wife and I married each other. I wonder when their 40th anniversary was. But Abraham is 75, and he and Sarah still had no children. What's wrong? Something's not right here. And so God promises him a son. Oh, praise the Lord! Says Abraham, "Gonna have a son." You hear that, honey? Mm, yes, dear. We're gonna have a boy. That's the promise of God. Year after year go by, no boy, no boy. Fifteen years goes by, oh boy, no boy. And so uh, Sarah says to Abraham, "You know, honey, maybe we had it wrong here. Maybe we got to help God out a little." Pardon my paraphrase. Here's my handmaid, Hagar. She's young enough to be able to give birth. Let's do what others do, and we'll get a child by her. So you, you and her, give us a child. And there's Abraham, 90 years old, says, "Yes, dear." That was a mistake. Yes, they had a little boy. Ishmael, he ended up being the father of the the Arab people. And the Arab nations have been at war with Israel now forever. So that didn't turn out so well. When God made the promise, he knew what he was saying. He knew what he was doing. And God purposely waited till Abraham. He was 100 years old. Sarah was 90, and that's when God fulfilled His promise. God makes no mistakes. His promises are true. His timing is perfect. We just need to keep praying. We need to keep claiming the promises of God. We must not give up. We must not quit. This is the secret that transforms an ordinary, weak, misfit of a Christian into an amazing servant for God. I wonder what great things. God might be wanting to do through you and through me. If only we will trust His promises and leave the details up to Him. Keep praying, beloved. Let your faith grow. Wait upon an almighty God who knows what He's doing. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.